Broadcasting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. show. All right. Happy to have you alive, my along my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman live on your radio. Hard-hitting news the networks refuse to use. No doubt starts now. This, my fellow Americans, is the broadcast for November the 12th in the year of our Lord, 2022. This is our one of two, and our goal always to protect life, liberty, and property, and to promote God, family, and country on your radio and the traditions of our founding fathers. Yes, indeed, we use the blueprint for liberty, the supreme law of the land, the Constitution for the United States of America. That is our guide. And absolutely, we're convinced that checks and balances brilliantly put in place by the Founding Fathers, that is still one of the great peaceful restorative solutions we have at our fingertips. As you know, we reject revolution. We stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. I am live from the redpillexpo.com. We are in Salt Lake City at the Salt Palace. I sit on Media Row, right to the right of me. I got some broadcasters that do a TV uh, and a radio show called Ball Busters Radio and TV. They have hot sauce to match their uh, hard-hitting agenda as well. Good for them. Hopefully we're going to talk to them a little later in the day as well. Um, yesterday we talked to Dr. Scott Bradley in detail, freedomsrisingsun.com, his website. We talked about the race between Warnock and Walker will be decided in the, quote, December 6th runoff. And we talked about what a sham the runoffs really are. Um, you know, Georgia's runoff law, ladies and gentlemen, was created back in the 60s. They say that it was a racist kind of an agenda to keep white people in power. Shame on them for that. But Warnock uh, won his special election, and Asa, another guy, won his elections. The runoff victories were basically helping Democrats take majorities in the Senate. Again, vote fraud, election fraud everywhere, folks. Ohio voters reject same-sex marriage, that's uh, good news. They rejected this same-sex promotion pioneer in a landslide. We talked about Hiram Cox running for sheriff of the Utah County area of Utah. And throughout his 16-year law enforcement career, he stood up for constitutionality in the American way. And Mr. Cox has a plan to implement extensive constitutional training at the sheriff's offices. Every decision the government makes should be viewed through a constitutionality Lens, he says. We also discuss the criminal nature of asset forfeiture and tell you how bogus, dishonest, and criminal it really is. Uh, you literally have law enforcement participating in criminal activity. It's out of control. We also talked about Joe Biden's student loan program, but blocked by a judge. That's good news. Uh, we then talked to Kelly Finnegan about the Honest Money Report. Dr. Scott Bradley, myself, Kelly Finnegan. Uh, we talked about Alex Jones and his company, Free Speech Systems, and the InfoWars uh, talk show, radio show, TV show, etc. They added another half million to what they say Alex owes. $1.5 billion now. Literally $1.4 billion. It is insanity, ladies and gentlemen. But they're trying to make an example out of him as they violate free speech for us all. Be very clear about that reality. We talked about the DOJ recovers stolen Bitcoin. Uh, it was worth three. Let's see how much. Three point three six billion in 2012 when it was lost or stolen, recovered by your government at only a billion dollars. So two thirds of its value going down the drain. 
We also talked about gold's about to soar. What should you do, they say? Well, we tell you that steady gold and silver acquisition, taking possession of the metals, is always a great idea. That's what you got to do. Uh, we talked about Elon Musk says working at home is over. Musk paints dire picture for Twitter. He warned employees that they don't even have enough necessary cash to survive. Twitter was running a negative cash flow of several billion dollars. He forgot to mention that's annually, by the way. And he even mentioned bankruptcy for Twitter, possibly. No doubt he's trying to shave off the insane expense, $44 billion for Twitter in the first place. We also talked about Amazon, his first company, to lose a billion dollars in market share price, falling almost 50% this year alone. We talked about the Wall Street editorial board. Outright called Donald Trump a loser on Wednesday. And the Senate Georgia race, they claim, too close to call. You can't sit on the sidelines. Please send your money, beg the Republicans. If you fail to step up, Democrats will take us down the wrong path. I think Republicans and Democrats will take us down the wrong path. Ladies and gentlemen, the deep state, both sides of the aisle, all criminals, if you ask my humble opinion. All right, that's a recap of Friday's broadcast. News the Networks refuse to use starts now. Chris Carlson with me. Welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thank you, sir. Without God, we cannot win. With God, we cannot lose. The battle for freedom is the large stand, but we need to be engaged in the fight. Lieutenant Carlson reporting for duty, sir. Yes, indeed. And we talk about the red wave that never came. And Joel Skousen, as his World Affairs Brief, does a phenomenal job always. Starts with this, quote, blaming Trump. For the failure of the red wave midterm elections, not very fair or honest, in my opinion. The mainstream media talking heads and Democrats and the partisans, the deep state, were all jubilant that the red wave of anti-Biden backslash never seemed to materialize. In Tuesday's midterm elections, except for in Florida, on Wednesday, the political analysis had changed for Democrats. They said they were doing better than expected against conservatives. But the conservatives are now starting to blame Donald Trump after the red wave failure. Following that, there was positive talk among mainstream establishments, pundits who are promoting Ron DeSantis. They say he was the only guy that's capable of winning um, in 2024 that could possibly beat Trump. The spin is out of control, folks. Much of the political disaster, they're turning it into a, quote, anti-Trump victory. But Trump, folks, was hardly responsible for the surprisingly poor results for key Republicans, Joel Skousen says. Completely missing in the mainstream news analysis was any hint that election and ballot fraud is still with us. You know what? Outward results paint the same picture. The evidence of vote tampering, as I've mentioned before on this broadcast, was more cleverly disguised. The 2020 election was indeed stolen from Donald Trump, and now they're literally promoting it, but behind the scenes this time. Here's what they say. It's all about the delays. you got to have the delays so we can get the vote right for everybody. They lie. That's where we start. Chris, what do you say? Well, Sam, I will say this to start off. Years ago, I, dis I disavowed the Republican Party. I'm still technically a member of the public Republican Party, and I'm actually a delegate in the Republican Party here in the, the state of Utah. But uh, it was not a disappointment for me because I don't trust either of the two major parties. I do feel sorry for Republicans because they put so much hope in the arm of flesh, Sam. 
and this uh, this election showed what happens when you do put your trust in the arm of flesh. It, you're very easily disappointed because we should be putting trust in God. And I do agree <clears throat> with uh, Joel Skelton. There was massive, massive voter fraud, and that's a disappointment. You know, regardless of, of what political party you affiliate with, or if you don't affiliate with any political party, we do need to have integrity in the elections. And there is abundant evidence. There was in 2020, and there is in this election cycle, uh, that there was massive voter fraud. I will give you one example right off the bat. Diane Sayre, who was the, re the independent challenger to Chuck Schumer in the state of New York for this, his senatorial seat, on Tuesday night, the night of the election, she had 50,000 uh, votes in her favor. Uh, Wednesday morning, she had 29,000 votes, almost 30,000 votes. That is a 20,000 vote reduction. How does that happen if there's not massive voter fraud, Sam? How do you lose votes in an election? Do people go back to the polls and change their minds about who they voted for? To the tune yeah, of 20, they, would, they would say that, hey, all the elections coming in from all the different sources, when it gets counted up, the numbers change and they can change rapidly is how they would lie about it and hint that, you know, they've got to get great handle on this. But look, the red wave mainly failed to materialize. There's no question about it. However, there are some bright spots. Florida, Ron DeSantis won, pulled out a landslide 19-point victory over the closet gay anti-conservative Charlie Crist who's now lost for the third time. Marco Rubio also won. He's a mainstream Republican, though, is the problem. But in all, ladies and gentlemen, there were 20 new Republicans who got elected, okay, as opposed to eight Democrats. So that's, uh, you know, better than you think, maybe. But remember, in governorships, Republicans won a total of 16 governorships, including Ron DeSantis and Kristi Noem, both of them fought back hard against the COVID lockdowns and the lies there. Chris? Um, yeah, I, and I, I will give a partial credit to those governors. Kristi Noem, I know that she, she did push back. She got criticized for it. She made some uh, subsequent mistakes on transgender laws in that state, which I'm willing to forgive her for. You know, if, if she makes a, a, a tough stance on, on other important issues, that's not saying that transgender stands are not important. Uh, the only problem I have with um, Ron DeSantis is that he signed a bill, a state bill, as the governor of the state of Florida in a foreign country that curbed uh, Floridians' right to speech. Uh, and that, that's something that should be a red flag. There are rumors that he was a member of Skull and Bones when he went to Yale. That rumor has not been verified, but it should be investigated further. If that's the case, if he is a member of a secret society, the, then that would not bode well for him. Uh, we'll, yeah, we'll Joel see. Skousen basically said there's no evidence that he can tell that uh, DeSantis is a member of the Skull and Bones Society at all. So that's true. But look, most of the Republicans are Rhino Republicans. Okay, Brian Kemp of Georgia. And Brad Little of Idaho, they're a disgrace. But most Republicans, ladies and gentlemen, are mainstream Republicans. Okay? Greg Abbott in Texas, none of these guys are true conservatives. You know where the solution can be found, Mr. President? In churches, in wedding chapels, in maternity wards across the country and around the world. 
More babies will mean forward-looking adults, the sort we need to tackle long-term, large-scale problems. American babies, in particular, are likely going to be wealthier, better educated, and more conservation-minded than children raised in still industrializing countries. As economist Tyler Cowen recently wrote, quote, by having more children, you're making your nation more populous, thus boosting its capacity to solve climate change. The planet does not need for us to think globally and act locally so much as it needs us to think family and act personally. The solution to so many of our problems, at all times and in all places, is to fall in love, get married, and have some kids. The spirit of the American West is alive and well in Range Magazine, the award-winning quarterly devoted to the issues of the American West. Each issue contains informative articles, breathtaking imagery, as well as the culture of cowboy spirit today, and gift ideas like this year's Buckaroo calendar. Order online from rangemagazine.com. Loving Liberty Network salutes the spirit of the American West at rangemagazine.com. This is a battle, a battle between truth and deceit, a battle between forces that would enslave this country in darkness and between a media that wants to present you with the truth. We are being censored. America's news outlets no longer provide the truth. 90% of news outlets in the United States are controlled by six corporations. The mission of the Epic Times is to chase the truth, to ground all statements in fact. TheEpicTimes.com All right, back with you live, ladies and gentlemen. So we're talking about the election results still, ladies and gentlemen. In Utah, Senator Mike Lee came out way further ahead compared to McMullen. But, you know, the mainstream press was manipulating this till the cows come home and making you believe this race was really close. Just shows the election fraud they play in the media. How well would McMullen have done without tons of free media support and manipulation, huh? There's other results that are mostly bad as well. In Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz lost to John Fetterman. Even though John could barely talk and couldn't even participate in the debate, this is where Joel Skousen says we believe there's a bunch of serious election fraud uh, going on. Uh, do you want to respond to that one, Chris? Yeah, I, I mean, if this doesn't prove election fraud, I don't know what does, Sam. Um, I didn't watch the debates, but I did listen to sound bites, and I felt sorry for uh, John Fetterman. I really did. I mean, the, the fact that he was even running under these conditions, he should have uh, <clears throat> relinquished his um, – his candidacy and giving it to somebody else more worthy. But apparently he was told that regardless of his uh, mental and physical condition, that he would be uh, ushered through and he would actually win that election. Now what their agenda is, I think they have future plans for him because they're using artificial intelligence uh, to supplement his lack of cognitive ability. So there may be something in the works in the future uh, to de to use him as a demonstration model for maybe uh, AI um, or uh, what do they call that uh, cyborg uh, transhumanist uh, technology in the future that may be something in the works that I've heard a lot of pundits talk about so we'll see we'll see about that but the fact that he won is just uh, abject evidence that there was in fact voter fraud in the state of Pennsylvania yeah and sadly all of this adds up to the delighted media saying. 
hey, a Trump endorsement is a kiss of death politically. Uh, they're wrong in saying this. They're manipulating the truth. The fact is in Colorado, Rhino, Republican, Joe O.D. lost to Michael Bennett. In New Hampshire, um, Democrat Maggie Hassan defeated non-Baltic or John Baltic or whatever. Look, they're just getting spanked all over the country. And every time what they make you believe in this, um, as far as I can tell, is, hey, Trump's responsible for it all. This is the big attempt at the Trump takedown, as far as I can see, Chris. Well, that's a deflection. And, you know, they have to deflect our attention away from this obvious fraud that has occurred. You know, uh, and I realize uh, the Republicans are not that much better than Democrats. And, you know, my my level of disappointment was relatively non-existent. Although I, I will say this, I will say this, Sam, and I think I said this uh, Wednesday when we uh, we spoke on the air. I'm not saying that Republicans and Democrats are moral equals. I think Republicans really do hold the moral high ground. They just lack the courage and resolve to do what they know they should do. Okay, so let's make that clear. I don't hate anybody. I don't hate Democrats or Republicans, but Republicans. Uh, what I do blame Republicans for is lack of resolve and lack of uh, political courage. So it was a bit of a disappointment knowing that that's kind of a reflection of uh, who we are as a nation. But I mean, it's almost um, some consolation to me, Sam, the fact that I, I knew and I wish other people and hopefully after uh, after the Republicans fail to uh, gain the Senate, hopefully some eyes will be open to the reality that there is, in fact, voter fraud. Hopefully there is a, a silver lining to this otherwise dark and gloomy cloud that we've witnessed. Amen to that. You know, it's interesting in the Georgia Senate, Democrat uh, Warnock, who won last time through voter Georgia election fraud, um, now is moving ahead of flawed Republican candidate Walker. What's interesting is that, you know what? Just like last time, how uh, Warnock won with fraud, with a runoff, now they're doing the same thing. And Joel Skousen and we are predicting that you're going to see Warnock win. You're going to see Walker lose. Now, Walker's a flawed candidate in the first place. All kinds of scandals regarding this guy. Uh, but yet at the same time, hey, fraud's committed through these runoff elections. And I've spoken quite uh, critically of these runoffs. They're disaster. They were created in the race uh, battle days of the 60s. Uh, and now they serve to literally promote Democrats into office where they wouldn't win otherwise. Uh, you've got some commentary that you wanted to mention on these runoff elections as well, Chris. Yes, I do. And I guess this is a good segue for that. But before I do, can I talk about... Uh, some uh, machine voter fraud evidence that Mike Lindell has uncovered in that race that you referred to, um, the Raphael Warnock, Herschel Walker race. As a blind person, you wouldn't be able to see it, but I'm looking at a graph right now, uh, and this is uh, from Lindell TV. You know know as well as I do, Sam, that Mike Lindell is a very strong proponent for exposing voter fraud, and he has been since the 2020 elections. So I'm looking at this graph, and this is a graph of the vote tallies uh, throughout uh, Tuesday's election. And I'm looking at a spike, the likes of which would evince an obvious piece of evidence of voter fraud, where Raphael Warnock, the Democratic challenger to Herschel Walker in the Georgia senatorial race, it just almost goes straight up. 
for, for thousands of votes. Um, and this was about uh, at about nine o'clock Tuesday evening. And um, so and anyway, I just thought I'd, I'd interject that um, piece of evidence there of voter fraud. But yeah, as far as runoff elections, I have no problem with them, Sam. In fact, I kind of favor them because what it does is it, it, it makes three candidates relevant in any given race. You know, you, you're, how many times have we heard, Sam, you know, don't vote for an independent party candidate. They don't have a chance of winning. Well, if you've, if you've got runoff elections, then the top two vote getters of any particular race will go on to uh, participate in the runoff, which makes it possible for you to vote for an independent candidate, Sam, knowing that most likely he will not win, but there's a, there, on the off chance that he will win, you can take courage that even in the, in the event that he doesn't win, that your second favorite candidate, which is usually the Republican, will most likely uh, go into the runoff. You see, do you see that logic? Absolutely. And that it just it just gives people more encouragement to vote for independent party candidates, knowing that there will be a second chance for that, them to go with the more popular mainstream uh, name brand candidate, which is usually a Republican in most races. And I use the uh, Ross Perot example. You remember in um, the 1992 election, you had George H.W. Bush, Ross Perot, and then uh, Bill Clinton. Did you know that Ross Perot got 19% of the votes in that presidential election, which was unprecedented in like the last 100 years of presidential elections because people were just so disgusted with both parties, even then? Okay, what would happen if they had, they had known that there would be a runoff if uh, you know, at the end of that three-candidate uh, race, they would have been even more encouraged to vote for Ross Perot, knowing that he, even if he fell short of a majority or of, of uh, reaching the top two vote-getters, that George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton would have been uh, represented in the runoff, so they could vote for their second-best candidate, which probably would have been, in the case of conservatives, George H.W. Bush. But there is a there's a uh, there's a, the likelihood that uh, Ross Perot would have gotten a lot more votes than 19 percent in that election. He could have even won. Anyway, that's my argument in favor of runoffs. I don't know how you feel about it. Um, I just think it, well, it gives tell us me, three. Tell me how you tell me how you get the in favor. Let me explain. If I win more votes than the other guy and there's a three or a four split race, whatever you want to call it, but I don't have 50%. Now you're going to make people go back to the polls a month later. You're going to have the media manipulation for a month. Uh, you're going to have scandals, true or not, float in the media that you can't have time to rebut or, or, or respond to. Uh, and, and now you get a second uh, chance to get your candidate to win. Um, why not do a runoff of the runoff then if we question the results? Uh, in other words, where does it end, Chris? And where does yeah. that second vote have more validity than the first vote? Uh, and where do you justify saying even though you won, you lost, the guy that wins the, quote, runoff might have less votes than the guy that had less than 50% in the beginning, right? But yet he had more votes than the other guy, so he wins. Is that no. how it is? Well, wait, wait. No, I, I don't know how you're doing your math. So that guarantees that the winner gets a majority, not just a plurality of the votes. So I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. So Bill Clinton, when he was first elected president in 1992, 
he only garnered 43% of the votes. And he won with 43% of America's support. Now, he, I think he won by a majority of the next election cycle. But do you really want somebody <clears throat> who is not represented by a majority of the people in the country? With runoffs, you eliminate that possibility. No, you don't. Let's say that I win with 43%. Now we have a runoff. Okay? Okay. So in a second after the break, we're going to do the runoff, and we'll talk about it. 43% represents what number of actual votes? Then we'll talk about that compared to the runoff actual number of votes. We'll do it in seconds with Chris Carlson on your radio. Pursuing Liberty, using the Constitution as our guide. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA Radio News. Tropical storm Nicole weakened to a tropical depression as it crossed the Florida's panhandle on its way north into Georgia. The storm has sent Florida homes toppling into the Atlantic Ocean and threatened a row of high-rise condominiums in places where Hurricane Ian washed away the beach and destroyed seawalls only weeks ago. The storm, which caused at least four deaths, was the first November storm to make landfall in Florida in 37 years and only the three on one record. There is an update with Artemis 1. Tim Berg has the latest. NASA says it has found minor damage to the Artemis 1 moon rocket in Florida following Hurricane Nicole. They say peak winds reached 82 miles an hour when Nicole hit Cape Canaveral as a Category 1 hurricane. Three below the maximum gust NASA said the rocket could withstand. The next launch attempt for the Artemis 1 mission is scheduled for early Wednesday morning. From the USA Radio News Phoenix Bureau, I'm Tim Berg. German lawmakers have approved a plan to keep the country's three remaining nuclear power plants until mid-April, extending their life beyond the originally planned shutoff at the end of this year. The decision comes as Germany tries to prevent a possible energy crunch this Wednesday due to cuts in fuel supplies from Russia over the war in Ukraine. Colorado voters have passed a ballot initiative to decriminalize psychedelic mushrooms for people 21 and older. This is USA Radio News. Let's see, something costs less but people are happier with it? That sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save the typical family 500 bucks a month, and that's huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want a plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. Very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need, 833-34-BIBLE. That's 833-34-BIBLE, 833-34-BIBLE.
right, so let's say Bill Clinton, in your example, Chris Carlson, wins 43% of the vote. Just give me an idea how many, what number we're going to talk about for a second to make a point. Okay. Yeah, how many votes do you think? Two, 200 million votes oh, total, how many? 43%, maybe 100 million he got, or what? 80 million? Well, 70 um, million? What Joe do you say? Bi- Joe Biden got the most votes of any president in the history of the country at 81 million, so it has to be less than All right. that. All right, so anyway. just say 60 million to make to make the point. 60. Say 50 million. Right, okay. 50, 60. fine. 60. All right, 50 million, okay. five zero. All right, yep. now, let's say that a month and a half later or whatever, because before they used to do the runoffs like two or three months later. Now they're being forced to do it a month later in this go-round. But nevertheless, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you got 40% of the votes the and it was 50 million week. voters. I, I know, but they're, they they're, they're, the following they're, week. No, they're not doing that. Sorry. That's what I'm telling you. I know they're uh, not. You just, that's, that's you're trying to structure it the way you want it. But forget okay. that. We're talking about how it really is. Last time it was like three months, and now they're saying that's too much. Let's make it a month. That's what this current Georgia election is doing. Yeah, that's bogus, <clears> by the way. All right. Now, uh, agreed. That's what I've been telling you the whole time. But all right. So now you got 50 million votes, just say. Now they're going to do a runoff. And in the runoff, the majority wins, right? Because there's only yes. two people in the runoff. Yeah. All right. So now the other candidates that might have got more votes the second go round aren't even in the race anymore, right? Yes. So so the second the, the second loser gets uh, another chance. The third loser, if you will, and fourth loser, whatever, do not get any more chances. That's correct. A little bit of home cooking, if yeah. you ask me. Yeah. Because it's no. possible that the, thir- the third runner-up guy could get more votes in the runoff if people really realize maybe they get out the vote for their guy, right? Who knows? But anyway, so you're favoring a loser and giving them a second chance. But now let's say how many people vote in the next runoff? It's way less, by the way. The runoffs always yeah. have way uh, less voters. What? So well, give me a number. I'm not sure about that. No, it's a fact. Um, <laughs> every, every, you're never going to get, oh, if you have a, let's a say you have okay. a midterm election. Let's say you have a midterm election. You never get as many people as the general election anyway, right? Right. And a runoff never gets as many as the original election in the first place, right? Yeah, I'm not so sure about that, Sam. Yeah, you can, you can look it up. Go look it up. Go okay. look it up. You'll find all out. Right. I, I, I'm just I, telling I, you the facts. So now there's less people voting. So let's say whatever that number is, and then you get 51% of that. It's possible okay. that my 51% if I win and you lose, it's possible my 51% in that runoff is less than, <laughs> let's say if you won, your 50 million that you had before. I might get 48 million votes the next time go around as my half, okay. and I got more than you, so I win, but you really had more votes the first time than I had the second time. But I won, and oh. you lost, because okay. I got a second chance. But who's None of the other candidates that? did. But that's not the system's fault. That's the people's fault if they don't turn around and vote well, for the next and it's week the, or the next and month. It's, and, it's, and it's the people's fault, too, that, hey, uh, you know, you didn't win by a 50% margin, right, in the first place. Yeah, that's true. Good All point. Right. So how is this no. different? So what I'm saying to you is that when you do these second chances, when you do these second circumstances, when you do these reruns or you give people favoritism or another chance or, you know, you'll have less – voting and you might have less people and you might actually win even though overall you had more votes than the other guy uh, but in the end uh, you know hey at the upset you won with less votes than the guy that actually won the first go-round had you see the possibility of what okay. i'm saying yeah i mean if you have imperfect people obviously any perfect system is not going to remedy the problem of of the people you know, not participating sufficiently. Maybe you should go to what Brazil does. Brazil requires every uh, mentally able person 
to vote in their elections. I don't know how they do that. They throw people in jail if they don't vote or whatever, fine them. But I, I'm not in favor of that either. I think it should be voluntary. Like I think that 99% of everything the government does should be voluntary on the part of the people, as you you agree with. But anyway, yeah. So let's ask just, let's ask the next question there. Uh, so Joel Skousen highlights a bunch of races and how people did based on the rhino status, et cetera. Do you have some of that you can run down really quick to kind of give people an idea? Um, we talked about the Fetterman Oz race. Um, yes, sir. We pro- should probably talk about Kerry Lake. So he says, uh, charismatic Republican Kerry Lake bid uh, to become governor of Arizona and then do all the built-in election fraud. So Joel Skousen thinks that there are certain states that have uh, more entrenched voter fraud than others. And he says that Arizona is one of those states. Georgia isn't another. And I think he's absolutely uh, right. That- Arizona, Georgia, Colorado, right? And he says that there's a conflict of interest in the gubernatorial race because Secretary of State Carrie Hobbs was in charge of the 2020 elections. And she just happened to be the uh, the candidate, the Democratic candidate that went up against Carrie Lake during this uh, 2022 gubernatorial election. So that's a conflict of interest. She should have recused herself from, and, and I'm not sure that she was actually Secretary of State this go around or not, but e- either way, there's a bit of a conflict of interest. Because I've, I I've received different messages throughout the week, pe- people saying that, yeah, she is, in fact, the Secretary of State and is, in fact, in charge of the election that she herself is participating in. And if that's the case, that is a conflict of interest. I will say that. But, um, but Carrie Lake is very much aware she's a, an election denier, quote, unquote. And, you know, having lived there and, you know, she, I guess she was a local newscaster for a long time. And I guess she was a Democrat for a long time. And she has a friend who is a uh, drag queen. That's what Joel says. He says a Democrat in the past, and uh, she has a close association with Arizona's top drag queen. So that, uh, you know, is a red flag to Joel. And it is to me, because I know a lot of these people, and I would say, um, I would say Ron DeSantis is a false flag Republican. I think if and when he ever becomes president, we're going to see his true colors, just like we did with Donald Trump. Anyway, I didn't mean to get too far off of that election. So that's suspect. We don't even know the results of that gubernatorial election right now, as far as I know. They're still counting ballots, which is another issue. I don't know if you wanted to go into that, why it takes so long to count ballots. Whereas, Yeah, we want to talk about that in detail. So, by the way, just so you know, there's a lot of uh, websites now that they say, hey, in 97% of the last runoffs in the last 40 years, uh, there's been way less voter turnout than for the election that spawned the runoff in the first place. And that exactly is my point. So just a kind of a note on that. Let's talk a little bit about, though, the um, you know situation with the delayed in the vote counts. This is a serious concern. And Joel Scouse in WorldAffairsBriefs.com that came out last Friday goes into this, or I guess yesterday, goes into this very detailed, Chris. Yeah, and it goes goes through it uh, on, a, on an election by election basis, like the Alaska election he talked about, the Senate election um, in Arizona. Oh, yeah, Blake Masters and Adam Laxalt. Uh, what did you want to talk about that? I mean, it's just it's ironic that you know, 20 years ago. Well, let's see, when did we get? I guess we got these vote, voting machines about 20 years ago. Before then, we were able to um, 
to count election results the night of the, the election. Why can't, with the technology we have at our disposal, Sam, why can we not uh, determine the outcomes of elections on the night of elections like we did traditionally throughout the history of this country? Uh, the machine should facilitate uh, increased efficiency rather than the opposite. We, we should not. What's going on? Why are there such long delays? And obviously he thinks it's, but you can cook and, an election. And I believe, I believe, and Joel Skousen believes that these delays literally let them basically use the media to, to act as a shield, a front line to say, hey, hold on, we're looking at the elections, we're kind of making sure that everything's right, that we dot every I, that we cross every T, that every vote's counted, that nobody's disenfranchised. But what they're really doing behind the scenes with those delays is they're more carefully committing vote fraud than before. So they only add the number of ballots that they need rather than just wholesale adding ballots to someone, that they're able to look at the races and assess where they really are before they make their uh, fraudulent moves, etc. And since it's all behind the scenes and everybody's kind of held off, including the media, there's nothing that slips through the cracks. And so Joel's kind of saying they're committing election fraud without a doubt, but it's a whole lot more careful than it used to be. And he talks about Michigan governor, a very good conservative. Uh, what is it? Mr. Dixon lost to radical Democrat Gretchen Whitmer, Whitmer in Michigan. Uh, and those are examples uh-huh. of the point in New York. Same kind of stuff. Minnesota, you got the first transgender lawmaker elected to the Minnesota House. Yes. Yeah. Very strange is, winnings there, Chris. Which is which is odd. And you would think, you know, with the size of legislatures and the number of legislatures in the country, that this would not be a first. I, I would think that he would be, you know, one of many, but but I guess, you know, that's the first. So congratulations. You yeah, there you go. Highlight way, Alaska baby. though, Chris, because Alaska is really important too. Okay. You got this challenger uh held a narrow Lynn or a narrow victory over Lisa Murkowski, but yet, hey, it wasn't enough to win a four-run race. So now what are you going to have? A runoff in Alaska? What's going to happen, right? Uh-huh, 44%, not enough to win outright majority of the four-candidate race, given Alaska's system of lumping all the top three choices together and forcing a recount. So there will be a recount in Alaska, like you said. So you got a recount, but my question is, why would you recount if you know the count's correct? Nobody Roundtable Live. Have you ever had great honey? No, I mean really good, all-natural, raw honey? Well, now you can, thanks to localhoneyman.com. We can ship out our locally made honey all across the U.S. So don't worry, you won't miss out. Plus, Local Honey Man has so many different flavors, like Utah Wildflower, High Desert Delight, Happy Valley, and Blackberry, just to name a few. So purchase your delicious raw honey today at localhoneyman.com. Do you treasure your liberty? Well, at LovingLiberty.net, we most certainly do. And we want to help protect your liberty, too. Become part of the family. Everyone knows that the core of any society is the family. Therefore, the government should foster and protect the integrity of its family. We the people. Won't you join us as a Loving Liberty sponsor to help us promote the principles in the 5,000-year leap? Let's restore the miracle that changed the world at LovingLiberty.net. 
Why does the left lie constantly? Because they get spiritual power from lying. The lies come from Satan, the father of lies. John 8:44. Here's how the political lying process works. Satan provides the beast with a lie. Then the more they use the lie, the more spiritual power they get. Look, the media is a lie multiplier, and this multiplication gives more evil, spiritual power to the beast. And that can overwhelm and even deceive the body of Christ, especially when the body is being disobedient to the head. The churches today are incorporated, so they're subordinate to human government. They obey the beast and do nothing to restore our national relationship with God. And the government shall be on his shoulders, Isaiah 9, 6. That verse is not for the present-day church. Rather, it is for the end-time church, the body of the line of Judah, a message from Christ Kingdom Ministries. Let's talk about the Arizona election, folks. So you've got Carrie Lake. Let's talk specifically about the gubernatorial election. You've got Carrie Lake, who is a former Democrat, as we mentioned earlier in the last segment. And according to Joel Skousen, uh, has a close associate uh, who is a, according to Joel Skousen, is Arizona's top drag queen. So she does have a suspect background. But she is a Republican, uh, and she's pretty hard-hitting. If you listen to some of her rhetoric, she's very confident. Uh, she's very poised, and she's uh, very well-read. And uh, she's going up against Katie Hobbs, who, as we mentioned, was or is, we haven't determined that, the Secretary of State of the state of Arizona. The interesting thing about Arizona is they have a county called Maricopa County, which is the third largest county in the U.S. by population, so a major, major score uh, for the Democrats or the Republicans, whoever can win that county. Uh, but interestingly enough, they had some problems with the ballot counting machines. Okay, the machines would reject a high percentage of ballots by citizens voting in person at polling stations. And they were then instructed, the people that didn't have their ballots counted, to put their uncounted ballots in a drop box to be counted later. Hmm, what could possibly go wrong with that, right? <laughs> Adding to the huge delays always experienced in Arizona. Now, the interesting thing about that is they're still counting ballots in, in the state of Arizona, specifically in Maricopa County. There are over 600,000 ballots, and this was as of Friday, which was yesterday morning when uh, Joel Skousen put out his brief. But Joel Skousen contrasts the fact that they're still counting ballots in Arizona to the fact that over 11 million ballots were counted in the state of Florida, and they had election results that night. Now, how do you reconcile those two contrasting scenarios? You can't. How can you count 11 million ballots in the state of Florida, which is much more populous than the state of, not maybe not much more, but it is more populous, in one night, and you're still, what are we, five days after the election, we're still counting ballots in Arizona? I mean, that should be proof that you should be able to count those ballots a lot quicker. You know, maybe not that night if you have some glitches like they did in Maricopa County. But interestingly enough, uh, it, it has been pointed out by pundits all week, Sam, that uh, Maricopa County, the, where the uh, problems with the machines occurred, just happened to be in Republican-dominated areas. Yeah. Is that a coincidence? I think not. So in 2020, it was during the wee hours of the morning when voting counting 
was claimed to have shut down for the night that thousands of Biden ballots were brought in and counted. And this is the 2020 election in Maricopa County. So Carrie Lake, she complained about this scenario. She said that two minutes into voting, we had people being told, well, you're gonna have to put your little ballot over here into another box, guys. Lake told her supporters late Tuesday, we will declare victory and we will get to work turning this around. No more incompetency and no more corruption in Arizona elections. And if she becomes the governor of the state of Arizona, she has vowed to, um, to clean up the voting process. And I hope she does. And I hope she wins. And I hope she's a, a true Republican because, Richard, you know, we've been disappointed in the past on that. So that's Arizona. Carrie Lake is the Republican uh, candidate for for governorship. Uh, yeah, and Carrie Lake and Mark Fincham, sadly, they're both going to lose because of election fraud, folks. They know it. We know it. That's the reason for the delay. They've got to come up with the votes. They've got to come up with ways and time and details where their uh, manipulations can be um, covered up in a way that they can, uh, you know, explain away very easily. In other words, they've got to do uh, commit election fraud in small, teeny ways, and they need time to figure that out so they don't get caught this time. That's what these delays are all about, folks. All right, what do we got next? Minnesota? So, well, let's just mention in passing Blake Masters. They're also counting votes in his election. He's the senatorial candidate from uh, the great state of Arizona as well. Um, Alaska? Yeah, so we talked a little bit about Kelly uh, Shabaka. I think that's how you pronounce it. And, and here's a little bit of a mystery, Sam. Maybe you can clear this up. There are two Republicans running. You've got Lisa Murkowski, who is the incumbent, and Kelly uh, Shabaka, who is also a Republican. How do two Republicans uh, run against each other in the same race? I don't know. but Well, they anyway, seem to have strange so- shenanigans. The way Lisa was got there in the first place is from write-in ballots which historically never do very well. But for Lisa, they did tremendously well. In fact, they got her elected. Uh, So as you can see, whenever you have these shenanigans in uh, play, strange things happen. We bring up the anomalies of that strange behavior, and then they say, you're a terrorist, there's no vote fraud, you're lying, how dare you, fake news criminal. And then they sick the FBI on you and whatever else they uh, intend to do. But this is kind of what we're seeing in Alaska, huh? Yeah. And so they have a runoff system as well, Sam. Um, according to Skousen, if Murkowski wins enough second uh, chance votes, no, no, going back, in Alaska's system of lumping all the top three choices together and forcing a recount, if Murkowski wins enough second choice votes, including from the 9.5% of voters who, choose, who chose the lone Democrat in the race, then she will win and retain her Senate seat, which will probably be the case because she is the name brand candidate in that race. And most people gravitate towards name brand candidates. Um, you would think that Alaska with its uh, preponderance of male there, because I know the male population of Alaska is greater than the female population. You would think that they would uh, favor uh, more conservative candidates. And I guess they think that Lisa Murkowski is, which she's not, she's a huge rhino. and. and Joel Gowson points that out. But anyway, uh, so that's in Alaska. Yeah, Minnesota was and, stolen from Scott Jensen. I guess they had a big old bump uh, in votes for the opponent. <laughs> then the rest of the evening, both parties were getting equal bumps. But there you go uh, in Minnesota, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't have that in front of me. This is, anyway, yeah, there's just, there's just so much evidence of 
and there was a oh, bizarre spike for Tammy Duckworth as well in, in her race. So we just see it everywhere, right? And, and the evidence is there. I'm looking at visual evidence. Um, like I, I told you in the uh, Raphael Warnock, Herschel Walker, I mean, it, it deserves revisiting. There is a graph. Uh, I think this is Mike Lindell's graph, but it shows a clear spike. I mean, spike is it's almost perfectly directly perpendicular to the, the line that gradually goes upwards. And all of a sudden, about nine o'clock in the, in the evening on Tuesday, you've got this huge spike going straight up. Uh, surpassing, by the way, Herschel Walker, because at that point he was trailing Herschel Walker, and, and boy, that 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 spike was very far. And maybe just you know a a, a whole uh, busload of Democrats got unloaded from the bus and just casted all their ballots at once, right? Must have been an omnibus of Democrats. <laughs> no, there's thousands here. I mean, anyway, that it, it's right in front of you if if you just dig a little deeper than the surface and you don't except the mainstream and, and Fox is just as bad as as any other media MSNBC or any of those they, they're all saying it they're all in fact last night on a local uh, radio station I heard Mitt Romney I can't remember the exact quote but I was disgusted he said that we're something like idiots if we believe that there is voting fraud in the voter in, in the election and I just felt sorry for the guy I mean he's my senator from the great state of Utah and he's just as bad as any Democrat. And knowing that he probably was defrauded in the 2012 election as a presidential candidate. But, you know, maybe they made some sort of a deal that he would become uh, the senator from the state of Utah. Whatever, whatever the case, he's certainly not what I would consider a conservative, constitutionally minded candidate. Yet he's dissing people who suspect voter fraud when there's so much evidence. At, at your fingertips, Sam. It's just sad. Yeah, that's right. A couple of facts to point out as we approach the end of the hour. We'll continue with this next hour as well. But in 97% of primary runoff elections and uh, midterm runoff elections, you know what? Less people vote in the second round than they do in the first round. So there you have it, folks. But understand this. With all this documentation of computer and mail-in Vote fraud that's been documented since November 2020. Why would the Democrats give up all that illicit power? The answer, uh, according to Joel Skousen, is they would not. They wouldn't, and they didn't, but they tried a much more subtle agenda this go-round. They cannot have such a massive victory that people can detect vote fraud this time. So they're being much more careful. What this tells us, ladies and gentlemen, is someone is watching the results, holding a batch of Democrat ballots in reserve, and then injecting them into the final tally. Sometimes they do it early, sometimes they do it late, but no doubt they do that for sure. Now let's talk about Bill Gates, because he's in this, which is very uh, interesting in my mind, too. Bill Gates is chairman of the Maricopa Board of Supervisors, right? Uh, I think it's a different Bill Gates, yeah. He's the chairman it is of the a different Maricopa Bill Gates. It is not the software Windows guy, but it's fascinating how he has the same name. <laughs> but it is a different guy, folks. Yeah. I think I'd change my name if I had a name like Bill Gates, Sam. Just saying. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, and about 20% of, of vote centers, when people go and they try and run the ballots through the tabulator, maybe one out of every five or so of those ballots, they're not going through. I know that's bad English, but I'm, that was a direct quote. 
So yeah, interesting. Yeah, and and those areas were the most conservative areas of Maricopa County, just out of coincidence, Sam. I'm sure that's just a coincidence. So you've got that. So you wonder where you wonder where we go from here. I mean, look, when you have the chairman of the Maricopa, you know, uh, board there saying, "Hey, one out of five is what? Not even counted? Not even?" Um, I don't know what you call it. Yeah, one, not even one read of, correctly or, made, or face rejection. One out of are not going through. Yeah, so they're not being counted. Yeah, or they're being rejected. Whatever word you want to use for that, there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, one out of five. That's a huge number. If five million people vote, it's a million of them, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That, now, others are calling DeSantis the new leader, folks, but I believe the wrong people are promoting Ron DeSantis. That's a point Joel Skousen makes out, and I mentioned this too. Why is DeSantis getting so much favorable press against the Donald? Chris? Well, George w, George w. Bush endorsed him. I noticed that just recently. And if that's uh, uh, not the kiss of death, speaking of the kiss of death, they accused Donald Trump of having on this election. I, to me, that is that that proves to me if if the neocon George W. Bush endorses Ron DeSantis, that tells me there's something terribly wrong with him. So I and I would have never voted for him anyway. You, you would have to demonstrate overwhelming. Like I said earlier, he went to a foreign country to sign legislation that would abrogate the free speech rights of Floridians. This was about five years ago. I don't know if you remember that, Sam. He went to the state of Israel and signed state Florida state legislation that um, that penalized people who engage in anti-Semitic speech. Now, I think anti-Semitic speech is um, is deplorable, but you have the right to engage in speech. In fact, what good is the, the right of free speech if you don't have the right to engage in uncomfortable speech? Amen to that. And when you talk about a speech that is. Uh, whatever you want to call it, what words are we going to use for this? Racist or anti-Semitic or whatever words you use for this. That's a very subjective term. If I tell you that, hey, man, the Jews have tremendous power and influence in America. They control most media. Is that a uh, racial yep. statement? Is that a statement of hate? Is that a statement of, um, you know, whatever you want to say? Or is that just a reality of fact? I submit the latter. Yeah. But in it America, are you allowed to make that point? when it can be verified as fact, but yet they manipulate it into I'm somehow uh, a hater. Somehow, okay. God save the Republic. Hour one of the can, two coming up. Broadcasting live. From atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West, West, you are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk, radio Show. Talk Show. All right, we are fired up and live from the Red Pill Expo in Salt Lake City, Utah, ladies and gentlemen, at the Salt Palace, theredpillexpo.com. If you can get a ticket, come on down, please do. It's today and tomorrow. If you can't get a ticket and attend online, tremendous speakers, incredible content, and a whole lot more. This is indeed the broadcast for... November the 12th in the year of our Lord, 2022. This is our two of two. Sam Bushman and Chris Carlson always defending God, family, and country and protecting life, liberty, and property. So we got a lot to cover in very little time. 
Chris has questions. Let's talk about your questions first, Chris. Then we'll talk about should the right to vote be handed out like candy. And we've got a couple of guests this hour, which I'll introduce as well. And, Chris, you can help me interview them. You've got questions first, Chris. So, yeah, I have a question. If elections have consequences, Sam, then what are those consequences? If Democrats win a majority in Congress and they have a Democratic president, does that mean their life is of greater quality, but the Republicans' lives are of lesser quality? Do we... It doesn't matter because last time I checked, this whole nation was under the rule of the Constitution. So no matter which political party rules, uh, the government is still restricted uh, in what they can do based on those constitutional restrictions and provisions. So why is it that Republicans think that their lives are going to be great when their leaders are in charge and the Democrats think that their lives are going to be miserable and vice versa? It doesn't make any sense. Aren't we in the same boat together? Yes, we are. Constitutionally speaking, which we can get into, it documents that we should be in the same boat together no matter who governs or who leads or who's elected or who serves. There's no question about that reality. But remember the Hegelian dialectic. The Hegelian dialectic says we need to basically divide and conquer. So we need to get you to vote for A, somebody else to vote for B, uh, and we don't care if you even vote for C if you want to just dissent from both of them. But don't ever have a D, which is none of the above. Okay, so any options that they are okay with you uh, accepting, that's on the table. Any options that they don't want you to accept are simply not on the table. And what they do is they divide and conquer and they pit one another against each other. We've grown up in this societal division, this communist agenda, for our whole lives. And we've been propagandized and indoctrinated. How old are you, Chris? 55 years old. You've been indoctrinated for 55 long years. Now, a guy like you has unlearned a lot of the indoctrination. You call it a spade a spade and see it for what it is. But most Americans can't do that. They've been taught to fire across the bow to whoever they're against. Males are against females. Females are against males. Blacks are against whites. Whites are against blacks. Republicans are against Democrats. Democrats are against Republicans. In fact, even your favorite sports team is against the other guys. And and this is what you've been indoctrinated with from the cradle to the grave in America, sir. And that's the reason for the problems that you're bringing up. Yeah, and I can see it. I can see why people fall in this trap because I was in that trap 22 years ago. But I was able to break out of the matrix. And I'm here and you're here for, to help others to do the same thing. Because I go on to say, God, we, we should be living under God's law. So regardless of what human beings are at the head of our government, it shouldn't matter. The Constitution is God's law. It's the embodiment of the principles that govern God's universe. And it should govern our universe and our little sphere of influence here. And um, if, if the Democrats are ruling the nation by a different set of laws than those of the Constitution, then they're violating their oath of office. So the problem is not that they're in office and that our guys should be because the Republicans do the same thing. The, the problem is that we should be looking t- towards constitutional remedies to rectify the situation. And I'll give you six examples. Number one, if Whoever is in office, Democrat or Republic, Sam, Article 1, Section 5 reads, each House of Congress may determine the rules of its proceedings, punish its members for disorderly behavior, which includes voting for unconstitutional legislation, by the way, and with the concurrence of two-thirds, expel a member. Did you know that Congress has the power to expel any of its members? 
When, when yes, has I Congress do. ever exercised that within our lifetime? Never. <laughs> Never. They Never. usually just censor and mock publicly, but they don't take it to the next level like they should. And that also relates to the power of impeachment. When a lot of these activist judges okay. are belligerent from the bench, which we see over and over and over, Congress has the authority and right to flat out impeach them as well. But again, we don't yeah. use these powers seriously at all. And that's part of the problem, why we have these incompetent and oftentimes activists from the bench and or, um, you know, criminals in Congress who violate the law with impunity because we don't hold them accountable. We don't kick them out of office. If we did and we prosecuted them to the fullest extent of the law, this would stop, Chris. Yeah. So that's that's the number one remedy. Okay. now let's talk about the Supreme Court. And and we we are familiar with this remedy because we, we look up to the Supreme Court as if they're gods and goddesses, which is which is not a good thing. And after all, their opinions are just that. They're just opinions. But if they are righteous in how they rule, those opinions can be very powerful tools in mitigating the results of bad elections like what we just uh, experienced. So that's remedy number two. The Supreme Court could rule any legislation. I don't care how many pieces of legislation Congress passes in any uh, session of Congress. The Supreme Court, I believe, has an obligation when bad legislation is passed to rule it unconstitutional. They can do it a thousand times if they need to. They get paid enough. Okay, so there's number two solution. The Supreme Court may rule on any legislation. Uh, Number three, the executive department may investigate and prosecute any member of Congress based on Supreme Court rulings or any other inferior federal court. You know, just just like they do uh, with the January 6th illegitimate uh, investigation. Um, that that the um, yeah the the Justice Department. So the the executive department through their Justice Department can investigate any congressman that is not voting in accordance with the Constitution. So that's remedy number three. Number four, the people could merely refuse to recognize unconstitutional laws, and that is a, a remedy at our fingertips right now. We can actually exercise that power today, legitimately, Sam. We don't have to wait for somebody to give us permission we don't have to wait you know for our congressman or or our president to say it's okay we don't need permission to uphold god's laws the constitution is god's laws and we are the ultimate sovereigns of this nation and we can and should rec- uh, refuse to recognize unconstitutional laws that's number four number five the several states could refuse to recognize unconstitutional laws. And that would be even a greater remedy because people look up to the several state legislatures and the governors of the several states as having more authority than the people. They shouldn't, but they're recognized as such. So there's remedy number five, number six. And if the states refuse to recognize the unconstitutional direct, direct, and this is a little bit complicated. So let me just give you a little background. Originally the constitution gave the states taxing power with the exception of tariff duties and some excise taxes. So originally, the federal government, Sam, was funded by, and that's why we, do, we, um, we have the census, it was funded by the states proportional to the populations of those states. So if, for example, the state of Utah has 5% of the population of the, uh, the, the entire government, or the entire United States, then the state of Utah would owe 5% of all the tax revenue to the federal government. And uh, every, every state has a certain proportional 
uh, tax debt that they give to the federal government. That way the states are in control of the purse strings rather than the, the federal government. That was before, of course, the 16th Amendment was passed, which gave the federal government direct taxation power. Anyway, that, that's the sixth uh, remedy. We have the remedies at our disposal. We don't have to wait every two years to uh, elect the, the ridiculous people that, that end up getting elected to Congress. We have many, many constitutional remedies at our disposal that we're not using. So forget about the election, Sam. Let's go with the remedies at our disposal right now that we should be exercising instead of just waiting for somebody to do it for us. Are there you, you there? have it, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, I am. And I think those constitutional remedies are critical. But again, folks are pointed um, to this divide and conquer mentality, this Hegelian dialectic mentality. They're not looking to the Constitution for guidance or solutions because they've been trained not to. They've been trained that the Constitution is the problem, not the solution. Chris? Yeah. Yep. And, um, you know, I, I, I tell everybody, hey, I'm nobody special. I mean, I graduated with high school, I hate to admit this, with a 1.67 GPA. Um, I don't say that to brag, obviously, because that's embarrassing, okay? Uh, I, I'm nobody special, I'm not brilliant. And if I can figure these things out, certainly our Yale and Harvard and Columbia graduated uh, congressmen can figure these things out. They're a lot smarter than I am. So th they can't use ignorance as an excuse because somebody like you or I can get on the computer and do go to the uh, websites that we can derive this information from and learn these things. And we, we need to, and if we're gonna save this noble Republic, Sam, we are going to have to, uh, we're gonna have to look to God and his solutions and the solution manual is the constitution that we need to be looking towards. And it's an open book test. We don't need to, every piece of legislation that is passed should be compared to the Constitution for constitutionality. And if it doesn't pass that smell test, even Mike Lee uh, has a 6% deficit as far as his constitutional conservative score is concerned. That should be 100% because yeah, it's an open book Yeah, it should be test. 100%, but there is a difference a little bit in interpretation sometimes, or sometimes you vote for something that gets you a bad rap, but you do it for a, a good legitimate reason or vice versa. Sometimes there's reasons for slight disparities. So I get a little bit, but I but I get your point as well. Hey, should the right to vote be handed out like candy? Let's talk about that with Chris in seconds on your radio. For decades, leftist, liberal, socialists, and feminists have been screaming and crying, my body, my choice, in order to justify the premeditated murder of innocent children in the womb. However, this is a fallacious argument since science has proven and demonstrated that the baby has a separate set of DNA from the mother. If it's not your DNA, it's not your body. That is science, and you should trust the science. Remarkably, the same people who have been claiming my body, my choice for decades now want to force you to inject foreign substances into your body against your will. Obviously, they never cared about my body, my choice. They just wanted to control you and have permission to kill babies. I am Ammon Bundy, and when you elect me governor of Idaho, I will sign an executive order on day one of my governorship prohibiting abortion in the state of Idaho because premeditated murder of the innocent should never be legal anywhere in the world, especially Idaho. Paid for by Ammon Bundy for governor. VoteBundy.com 
Why does the left lie constantly? Because they get spiritual power from lying. The lies come from Satan, the father of lies. John 8:44. Here's how the political lying process works. Satan provides the beast with a lie. Then the more they use the lie, the more spiritual power they get. Look, the media is a lie multiplier, and this multiplication gives more evil, spiritual power to the beast, and that can overwhelm and even deceive the body of Christ, especially when the body is being disobedient to the head. The churches today are incorporated, so they're subordinate to human government. They obey the beast and do nothing to restore our national relationship with God. And the government shall be on his shoulders, Isaiah 9, 6. That verse is not for the present-day church. Rather, it is for the end-time church, the body of the Lion of Judah, a message from Christ Kingdom Ministries. So at the end of the last segment, Sam posed the question, should the right to vote be handed out like candy? And I think Bill Jasper may be listening, and I'd like to pose the question to him, get his commentary. I don't think that the right to vote should be handed out just because you're a citizen of the United States. I think you should demonstrate competency. I think you should demonstrate uh, an understanding of constitutional principles. And I also think that you should demonstrate an understanding of simple economic principles before you should uh, be given the right to vote. And I think there should be a test. It shouldn't be easy. It should be, it should be attainable by most American citizens, but it shouldn't just be you have the right to vote because you have a pulse. Uh, Bill Jasper, how, how do you feel about that? All right, hold on. So I'll introduce Bill. Bill Jasper is with the oh, New sorry. American Magazine, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. And he stepped away to take a quick phone call, so he's not ready for you. But I'll, I'll introduce him. Uh, he's a well-known writer, well-known investigative researcher, well-known, um, what do you want to say, leader in the John Birch Society and has written for the uh, New American Magazine for quite some time. We've had him on the radio with us several times over the years, and we're grateful to have him again as he gears up to jump on the Red Pill Expo stage. All right, are you there, Bill? I'm here. Are you picking me up? No, we're not. Did you flip on his mic? Yeah, I hear him. You can hear him? All right, good. Oh. So uh, so um, why don't you ask your question, Chris, to Bill? Welcome, Bill. Yeah, Bill. Well, well by the way, such uh, Bill, it's an be honor to be talking with you. Oh, hello. Yeah, it's an honor to be talking to you. I appreciate all the good work you do there at the uh, John Birch Society. So the question that I pose is, should the right to vote be handed out like candy? In other words, should there not be a test of competency of constitutional principles and of economic principles to qualify to receive the right to vote here in the United States of America? Well, I would, I would say this. Look, first of all, the, the voter qualifications are a state issue. We're a constitutional republic. Um, we used to have in the United States, uh, first of all, you had to be a citizen. Now we don't even have that. They, they won't even allow you to check to see if you're a citizen. That should be the very first qualification. In other words, you can't just walk into this country. You can't in any other country in the world, if you're an American, just walk in there and vote in their elections. Uh, it, it's absolute lunacy. It's worse than lunacy. It's criminal and it's intentional. Uh, when it gets to some of the other things that you propose, I'd have to look at that a bit closer because uh, we have... Uh, we have uh, in many states, or we had in many states, 
actual property owner requirements. In other words, you had to own property because you paid taxes. Uh, and, and so you couldn't just have everybody voting to raid everybody else's uh, bank accounts and property to pay for things that they were not themselves having to pay for. Uh, so the property ownership is is an issue. It's more difficult now because we have so many people renting, but uh, that's something that should be looked at again. And there's a number of different proposals for that. When it gets to the the constitutional and economic uh, competencies that you talk about, that gets a little more difficult to implement. Uh, I'm not averse to, to looking at that, but it does give a possibility for uh, manipulation and improper exclusion of uh, people for the right to vote for the franchise. They would only be excluded if they couldn't pass the test. In other words, and so I would I would say this though okay. I think private property uh, is what matters the most in my opinion private property is really the key to this exercise according to the founding fathers bill yes well I mean that's the way uh, constitutionally it was in most states uh, and so uh, that is that is a key thing I I, I, I go back though uh, first of all the first thing is citizenship uh, we have to, and we have to have. Uh, when we come, to, when we come to voter integrity, and getting back our proper franchise, we can't have it if there's outright cheating going on. And so, before we get to competencies uh, of of that regard, in the New American Magazine, uh, our our probably our most prolific writer and uh, expert on this has been Colonel Kurt Hyde who has for decades been, uh, he, he's a historian of elections and of voter fraud and voter rights, et cetera. And he's pointed out a number of things that we have to do. And one is we have to, first of all, get back to paper ballots. If you don't have, he was opposed to this. We were about the only ones back in the 80s when all of the digital voting uh, came in. Uh, Professor uh, Hyde was uh, teaching uh, 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 systems analysis and computer uh, sciences, and he went and gave a, a, a seminar at Boston University, I believe it was, uh, back in 1986. And he said, look, uh, we can't even talk about uh, any kind of uh, voter integrity as long as we're, we're talking about electronic voting, machine voting, digital voting. And conservatives, uh, liberals were all in favor of of uh, going high tech, they said this is how, this is we don't we don't need to re resort back to the horse and buggy days. We're now a high tech society, and uh, this was even pre-internet. They were really pushing this, and Ross Perot was pushing this, and a lot of people who were conservative but not really constitutionalists and weren't really thinking this through were all in favor of it. And so, uh, in our in the New American Magazine, Colonel Hyde has pointed out a number of things that we have to do. Uh, paper ballots do not uh, obviate all fraud, but the, it reduces fraud immeasurably over what we see today. And it, uh, so that, that is just one thing. You have to have actual paper ballots. You have to have ID, voter ID. Uh, most states now are very lax or it's non-existent. You can walk right in. Uh, you can have uh, same-day registration 
or motor voter, all these different things which allow people uh, to uh, register and to vote uh, fraudulently. Yeah, and Bill, that same laxing of reality on um, you know the right to vote and the integrity and the appropriateness of voting in terms of making it so easy just to roll in there even if you're an illegal and vote. Barack Obama was caught on record saying, yeah, you know, if you vote, you're a citizen. You can be an illegal, and hey, you, if you vote, you're a citizen. He flat out criminally lied in that case. But to make a long story short, property ownership was one of the great keys that the founders put in place. And that was when property was hard to get. Nowadays, with all these government loans and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and all these other things, property is relatively easy to get. They follow the same trajectory there. They want to hand out carrots and sticks to the people and have them be deceived into taking these things. But property in the old days was hard to get. You had to save. You had to scrape. You had to work hard. You had to have discipline. You had to. And the property owners then, after they owned property, because it was so hard to obtain, they didn't take it for granted. It's kind of like paying for your own college as opposed to your parents paying for college. There's something in that battle, that fight, that effort, that struggle that teaches you and that refines you. And okay, and so property ownership then was the gateway because you didn't have all kinds of incompetence and, and people who weren't disciplined and people who didn't study and learn and understand what that property right meant and et cetera, et cetera. Was it a perfect gateway? No, but it was the one they used because it was the simplest one that did not pit people against one another. Right. And so Absolutely. that's kind of why it was used. And that's why it's the best simple test. You don't got to go take a test. Your life is the test. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, so th you can look clear back at the time, uh, much closer to the founding when uh, Davy Crockett was in Congress. And of course, you've probably mentioned the story, the sock dollager of, of Davy Crockett uh, when he met up with Horatio, not yours to give. Yes, sir. Horatio Bunce and Horatio <laughs> Bunce gave him a lesson in constitutional uh, principles and constitutional history because Davy Crockett, well-meaning uh, congressman at the time, the famous backwoodsman and uh, frontiersman, uh, had voted for an unconstitutional act, which he thought was a very generous thing to do, which was to help uh, people who had their in Georgetown whose houses had burned down. And so, he, and let's be very clear: it is a generous thing to do with other people's money. With not with other people's money, and that is the problem. Absolutely. And so, uh, he was he was completely shocked. He had they called it the sock dollager because Horatio Bunce was just a, a citizen farmer uh, who understood the Constitution, understood the principles, a hardworking, God-fearing man, uh, told Davy Crockett, I can never vote for you again. And he said, well, why not? And he said, because you voted for an unconstitutional and illegal act. And he was, he was smacked. He said, what, how, how, I've never done that. And he, then he explained to them, yes, you voted for that act. That was not yours to give. You were free to give those people who, with whom you had sympathy, as much of your own money as you deemed fit. You, were, you could have been as generous to them uh, as, uh, as anything. You know what? Great point. Um, we should not hand out votes like candy. I want to keep Bill with us a little longer. He's going to jump on stage here in a few minutes to talk about secret societies. Uh, and I want to get his take on that before he jumps on stage. We'll do it in seconds and then let him fly. You are listening to the one and only Liberty Roundtable Live. Your daily Liberty Newswire. 
You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA Radio News with Tim Berg. Friday marks the first Veterans Day since new legislation was signed by President Biden expanding health care benefits for service members who were exposed to toxic burn pits. This, as Vice President Kamala Harris says, veterans and their families deserve to be taken care of. Fulfilling that obligation means making sure veterans can access the support and the resources they need to thrive. Consumers of all ages and income groups are feeling less optimistic about the state of the economy due to recession fears. The University of Michigan's early consumer sentiment reading for November fell 9% from last month to its lowest level since June. Buying conditions for big-ticket items decreased sharply due to uncertainty over rising interest rates and continued high prices. Republicans from across the country are heading to Georgia to show their support for Senate candidate Herschel Walker. The former NFL running back will face Democratic incumbent Raphael Warnock in a runoff election after Tuesday's midterm election failed to produce a clear winner. As the crisis on the U.S.-Mexico border continues, the Biden administration is making moves to provide abortion access to illegal immigrants. The Biden administration is directing shelter officials to ensure that unaccompanied immigrant children in federal custody have access to abortions. The way the Biden administration is doing this is by transporting children to states where abortion is legal. The Office of Refugee Resettlement said officials must not prevent unaccompanied children from accessing legal abortion-related services and must facilitate abortions when requested by a minor. From the West Coast USA Radio News Bureau, I'm Lance Pry. The Dow gained 32 points on Friday to close the week at 33,747. This is USA Radio News. Paid for by government.com. The 1878 to 1921 Morgan Silver Dollar, a true American classic and one of the most iconic silver dollar coins in history. It's been 100 years since the last Morgan Silver Dollar coin was struck for circulation. And now, for a limited time only, full pound bags of original U.S. government struck Morgan dollars are being released to the public. That's right. You can own a full pound of 1878 to 1921 classic American Morgan Silver Dollar coins, all in very good collector condition with fully visible dates and mint marks. Guaranteed. Call 1-800-473-1745 now to secure collector-grade U.S. Morgan Silver Dollars by the pound. Struck during the Wild West and the Gilded Age. Plus, receive a bonus American Collector's Pack valued at over $25, free with every order. Call 1-800-473-1745 now to secure your full pound bag of Morgan Silver Dollar coins before they are gone. 1-800-473-1745. That's 1-800-473-1745. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Bill Jasper from the John Birch Society, jbs.org, thenewamerican.com, with us. Uh, and we're talking about his jumping up on stage. I think you go on stage tomorrow, right, Bill? That's correct, yes. All right, you're going to jump on stage tomorrow, and you're going to double down on secret societies. Boy, how did you you got a long history to go through, don't you? Well, yeah, so uh, <laughs> Ed Griffin asked me to speak on secret societies then and now, and uh, so... Yes, I'm going to be covering a lot of ground and a lot of history. And, you know, people might ask, well, what's the relevance of that today? Well, you look around today and we see something happening 
that most people are going, what the heck just happened? Or what the heck is happening? They're usually not saying heck. Uh, and we recognize that terrible th- transitions are taking place in our society. Uh, people, uh, are, we, we're seeing whole new vocabulary uh, uh, and a whole new lexicon incorporated into our daily life. You know, we're non-binary. We have uh, children uh, being injected with uh, not only experimental quote-unquote vaccines, but with puberty blockers. Their kids are being uh, 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 mutilated in many different ways surgically, having their their genitals uh, removed. It's a crazy world, and people Ouch, are saying, I'm off that plan. Yeah, people are saying, <laughs> what is going on? We, we have the critical race theory and the uh, LGBTQ transgender stuff taking over, and uh, people are, uh, the borders are being overrun, the cities are being burned down, and the now being occupied tent cities of uh, homeless vagrants. So, obviously, some very major things have happened that we've never seen before in this country or in the history of the world. Under the pandemic, plandemic, we saw the whole world for the first time in history on lockdown. We moved closer to Chinese-style communism in one year than most people could have even imagined. And how, well, how, did, how is all this stuff possible? Yeah, and Bill, we've never had that in the history of the United States before, right? Correct. And, and never. First time ever, all the churches are closed down. <laughs> all we've the... never had that ever. We've never also locked down healthy people, right? Right. So, I mean, everything has been turned upside down. And uh, people say, how did this just happen? Well, it didn't just happen. This has been building. This is what is called the revolution within the form. Uh, the communists uh, developed this uh, uh, over a century ago. Uh, and that is, we see a revolution happening, but most people don't see it because the form of our daily lives seems pretty much still intact. We have all the same institutions, all the same, the flag and all the symbols are still there, but we see them being eaten up, torn down gradually, and things are transitioning. What are we transitioning into? We're transitioning into a new world order that's one of the things i'm going to be talking about and that is that's the new normal that is that is what we're told that is what we're told it is the great reset now in in the 2020 the world economic forum which is the the bastion of the world globalist capitalist uh major all the major companies the billionaires of the world Uh, came out with, under Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum, with the Great Reset. And the Great Reset calls for resetting, transforming the world economically, politically, socially, spiritually, morally, and biologically. That's where the transhumanism comes in. Nothing this megalomaniacal has ever been proposed before. And this is by the top academic and uh, banking and business titans of the world. But what's really critically important here is that these globalists, they call themselves globalists, they're promoting globalism. They want to remake the entire planet and all of humanity, as I said, economically, uh, spiritually, politically, socially, 
morally, biologically. They are working in unison with the communists, globalists and communists. So you see the now the leading figure of the communist world, Xi Jinping, he is one of the uh, most famous uh, guests and allies of the World Economic Forum. And not only him, we have all these other top communists being brought into the World Economic Forum. So the communists and the globalists are working together to bring about this great reset, this new world order. And this is happening now, right before our eyes. But most people are oblivious, at least to the most important levels of this. Now, during the Trump administration, the term deep state became widely known because uh, people could recognize there's some force behind the major media, the, the government uh, officials who were thwart from within uh, the federal government who were thwarting all of the plans, all of the efforts that uh, President Donald Trump was trying to implement against the globalist agenda, trying to bring back uh, business, technology, uh, manufacturing to America, trying to uh, protect our borders. The globalists don't believe in national borders. They don't believe in national sovereignty. They want to destroy those things. So the deep state became widely recognized as a term referring to those people who have ensconced themselves deeply not only in our government, but in our business and financial institutions, academia. And this deep state is really working to carry out this great reset. Yeah, when I was a kid, we called the deep state the shadow government. Absolutely. The shadows of power, if you will. Right. So we published a, a book by James Perloff called The Shadows of Power, and it particularly focused on the Council on Foreign Relations, which is really the brain trust and the face of the deep state. It isn't the only or even perhaps the most important of the organizations, but it is the most prevalent dominant one that is out It's the there. closest one in the United States to which people are usually chosen from to be elected and or to serve in positions of power uh, here in America. By no means are they the real shadows of power, real behind the scenes. They're kind of a front group that's half exposed, right? They, correct. So they are, they, they are precisely that. They are a front group. Uh, they are a public face, uh, which has this certain respectability uh, because they have been able to oversit. They just turned a century old here in uh, last year. Uh, they were officially formed the Council on Foreign Relations, CFR, in 1921. This last year was their centenary. And over that century, because they began with all these big Wall Street fortunes, they have been able to pull, place their people in the Republican Party, the Democrat Party, in media, in academia, in the scientific fields and whatnot. And so after a century of assiduously gaining controls over various institutions and levers of power, they have succeeded in being able to to really be the, the secret government, the shadow government. And uh, that's where James Perloff's book, Shadows of Power, is very important. Before that, former FBI official uh, Dan Smoot had written his book, uh, uh, book on that on the invisible government and so that was back in the 60s so this has been exposed for quite some time in my talk I'm going back even further 
And uh, going and, and you go back to the Federal Reserve and creature from Jekyll Island, G. Edward Griffin, the founder of the Red Pill, which we're at now. Absolutely. As you go back further, and then you go beyond that, right? Yeah. So I mean, uh, so the founding of the Federal Reserve uh, was the the whole plan and genesis for that came out of a secret meeting, which actually preceded the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, in 1910 at Jekyll Island, the secret meeting and the participants in that uh, even referred to that as a conspiracy. They went there secretly. They planned this, and it was one of the greatest revolutions in the history of the world, the concentration of power over money. And that's one of the planks of the Communist Manifesto, to uh, to take control of, of the issuance of, of uh, credit. And that's what they did with the Federal Reserve. So, yeah, so I go back in that, and then I go back to the 19th century and the the whole move uh, across the world promoting uh, communist and socialist revolutions. And the, the important point here is that in all of those cases, we had globalists, that is, top financial interests actually supporting those communist and social socialist organizations, groups, and individuals who were their proclaimed enemies. How does this work? Why, why would they be doing that? Because really what they're after was a concentration of power. And so they create a left hand, which goes out there and says, we have to overthrow the capitalist uh, powers, and we demand more more centralization. Hey, Cameron, can you skip the break? Keep going, Bill. So, uh, we're, uh, so what we're seeing now is the culmination of really two centuries of revolution, uh, beginning with the uh, French Revolution, which, of course, broke out in 1789. And what's interesting there is that the secret societies then, the Jacobin clubs, uh, were all part of the Grand Orient, Freemasonry in France and the Illuminati, which is a, an organization which is, there's much misinformation and disinformation about and lots of, if you go to Wikipedia, Wikipedia will say the order of the Illuminati is largely myth and it's a conspiracy theory and whatnot. But I, I'm going into the actual sources on that. And it, it's very clear that at the, the beginning of the French Revolution, the French Revolution had its George Soros. Uh, you know, so you, uh, George Soros, of course, is is infamous today for funding revolution all over the world, funding revolution here in the United States, just in the, in the elections. Not only him, but Mark Zuckerberg, etc. Well, the French Revolution had its equivalents. The most important being uh, Philippe Egalité, Louis Philippe, the Duke of Orleans, and he was the richest man in France, probably the richest man in the world at the time. He was funding all of the revolutionary activities both the revolution in the streets the pornography the uh destruction yeah, history of morals. certainly repeats itself doesn't it bill yes hey where can people get more information if they're not able to attend the red pill and hear you speak tomorrow hopefully they'll attend in person in salt lake city the red pill expo.com to get your tickets now or online if you can't make it they've got tickets where you can watch remotely as well the red pill expo.com but if they really can't is it gonna be written up in the new american or what, what yes yeah, so okay. uh we we've written about this a number of times in the new american magazine the new we're going to be uh, doing more on that, and I will have 
a uh, subsequent uh, video of this available online as well. Fantastic. And we go to JBS.org or The New American, both? Both. Yes. All right, thenewamerican.com, jbs.org. Bill Jasper, thank you so much, sir. Sam, always a pleasure. Thank you. All right, do me a favor and flip off that switch, will you, when you set that will down? Do. So, Chris, uh, we move straight from secret societies to Bosnia. And you've got an account of somebody who was in Bosnia when times got tough, and they've got some sound, sage advice for us, sir. Oh, boy, do they. Yeah, so this guy actually lived through a scenario similar to the one I think that we will eventually experience here in America, at least certain parts of America, where if, for example, you know, Joe Biden wants to uh, quit drilling uh, for natural resources, natural gas, uh, petroleum, uh, if that ever happens, there are going to be shortages. How are you going to heat your home? Uh, We're going to have food shortages. We know that. I mean, the writing is on the wall. How are we going to do that? This guy actually lived through a scenario during the early 1990s, during the Bosnian War, where he uh, he imparts some wisdom on what we can expect. And uh, what he discovered is uh, is very eye-opening. He's um, let me give you the introduction to his statement. It says, "I am from Bosnia. You know, between 1992 and 1995, it was hell." For one year, I lived and survived in a city with 6,000 people without water, electricity, gasoline, medical help, civil defense, distributive service, any kind of traditional service or centralized rule. Our city was blockaded by the army, and for one year, life in the city turned into crap. And the number one item that he talks about, we had no army, we had no police, we only had armed groups. And can you imagine um, whether or not those armed groups were hostile or friendly? Well, the answer to that question, Sam, is both. Some were were bands of thugs that have banded together to loot, to rape, to steal, uh, because everybody was hungry. They did get uh, some MREs uh, uh, airdropped into them from uh, American forces, which is good. But that didn't guarantee that they had a sufficient amount of food. Besides, who knows, once you airdrop, you know, a big old uh, tranche of, of MREs, who's going to get to it, whether they be the good guys or the ga- bad guys? Um, he said that after a month or two, gangs started operating, destroying everything. Hospitals, for example, turned into slaughterhouses. And I don't mean to impart this information to our listening audience, Sam, because I want to be an alarmist. I want people to be prepared. But before they can be materially prepared, they need to anticipate what could potentially happen. I don't wish this to happen on America, but I think it will. And um, you and I both, Sam, are preppers. We know that eventually we will most likely have to use those supplies that we ourselves are preparing for such a time. He said the Americans dropped MREs every 10 days to help blockaded cities. This was never enough. Some, very few had gardens, okay? It took three months for the first rumors to spread of men dying from hunger and cold. So people eventually started dying because these supplies and very few people had gardens. And I suppose nobody had food storage at that time because, you know, who would suspect that they would ever need uh, food? You know, you could just go to the store and get it. We removed all the doors and the window frames from abandoned houses, ripped up the floors, and burned the furniture for heat. Many died from disease, especially from the water. 
uh, and he says two two people died from uh, waterborne diseases from his own family, Sam, and he had a pretty big family. We drank mostly rainwater and ate pigeons and even rats. Okay. Uh, here's another eye opener. You know, a lot of women uh, obviously are concerned about their virtue. It was a struggle for a lot of women to get food at this time. And guess how they got uh, food? Guess what they traded for a can of, he refers to it as Tashonko, which I looked up as a can of stewed meat. Literally, women would sleep with other men in exchange for food, okay? So if that's not a sobering fact, and I hope I don't see that, you know, within the sphere of my influence ever, but if we're not prepared, the likelihood of that happening, Sam, is uh, very potential. Um, a, lot of, a lot of women, especially who had children who had to provide food for those children, would literally trade their virtue for a can of stewed meat. So he talks a lot about arms. So arms, ammunition, candles, lighters, antibiotics, gasoline, batteries, and food. We fought for these things like animals. In these situations, it, it all everything changes. Men became monsters. It was disgusting. In fact, he, he said men that, who were previously very civil uh, under these circumstances turned to be very brutish and very animalistic. And, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen with people that we're surrounded with in our neighborhoods where we're going to hunker down. But you never know. If they're not prepared and they know we're prepared, you know, you know what uh, the potentiality of that scenario could uh, result in. Strength was in numbers. You'll like this, Sam, because you have eight children. You've got a big family and a big extended family. Strength was in numbers. A man living alone, getting killed and robbed would be just a matter of time even if he was armed. Don't stay apart from your family. Prepare together. Choose reliable friends. Surviving on your own is practically impossible. And he says in uh, quotes, that's what I, or in parentheses, that's what I think. Even, you're, even if you're armed and ready, if you're alone, you'll die. I have seen that happen many times. He goes on to say, families and groups well-prepared with skills and knowledge in various fields, that's much better. So, you know, make sure your uh, your relationship with your your family and extended family is good. Uh, that's going to be a, a net asset because people are much, and, and even if only psychologically, I think it, it's a lot easier to survive when you're surrounded by other people that can support you and um, buoy your morale, you know, in, in difficult times because it'll be just as much of a psychological and a social struggle as it will be a material struggle. Uh, he talks about trading. All of the exchanges occurred in the street. About five kilometers away was an entire street for trading. It was all well organized, but going there was too dangerous because of snipers. You could also get robbed by bandits. So people turn into animals. Like I, I mentioned that before, but I think it bears repeating. Um, things get really dangerous. In fact, um, there's a, a political pundit. Um, Think of his name. He always says he's famous for saying, when people lose everything, they lose it, which is kind of a play on words for, you know, when people get desperate, Sam, even though they may not have been capable of violent acts previously, you know, they turn into animals. So, you know, it's, it's hard to know who you can and cannot trust under uh, desperate circumstances. Um, 
travel was strictly limited because of snipers. He says, nobody used automobiles in the city. The streets were blocked by wreckage and by abandoned cars. Gasoline was very expensive. If somebody needed to go somewhere, that was done at night. Never travel alone or in groups that were too big. Always 23 men. I don't know where the 23 came from, but always 23 men. I don't know. Always two to three men. Okay. There you go. That was a, I don't think because that was my 23 idea. is a large group. There's a typo there. I'm telling you, it's two to three men because that usually oh. consists of assassin teams, just so you know. Wow. That was pretty good. You picked up on that. All armed travel swift in the shadows. Cross streets through ruins. I'm sorry, his English isn't that good. <laughs> I'm just quoting here. Cross streets through ruins, not along open streets for obvious reasons. There were many gangs, 10 to 15 men strong, some as large as 50 men. But there are also many normal men like you and me, fathers and grandfathers who killed and robbed. Listen to that, Sam. Fathers and grandfathers who normally would be very civil, peace-loving people, they turned into killers and robbers. Um, I mean, this is real. and This is not made up. He literally went through this for a year. Now, obviously, I'm not sharing these details with our listening audience to be, to be an alarmist and, and try to sow seeds of doubt or... Uh, despair. I'm sharing this with us, with your listening audience, because eventually I think we will have to pass through such times in this country. The way things are going, the trajectory doesn't look positive. So be prepared. Um, He goes on to say, the most protected houses were looted first. Listen to this. Maybe this would seem strange, but the most protected houses were actually looted and destroyed first. In my area of the city, there were beautiful houses with walls, dogs, alarms, and barred windows. People attacked them first for obvious reasons, because they think that these people probably have the greatest amount of resources available. So people like you and me, Sam, I think we're in pretty good condition. I I visited your house, and I know it's fairly modest. So hopefully, you know, our homes will not be targets. You know, whatever, we should be armed anyway to propel such an attack. Um, he said, wood disappeared quickly. Now, I did a survey, and my, I live uh, on the border of Bureau of Land Management Land here in, in Springville, where I live. And uh, in my backyard, there are many, many trees. Many of them have died and would make great firewood. So I've got a wood stove that I plan to heat my house with. But here's the problem, Sam. As much wood as there may be in the back of my uh, house here, uh, if there are other people with wood stoves and fireplaces, that wood's going to get uh, claimed very quickly. Probably the first year, it'll be gone, the first winter. You know, so that's something to consider. Um, natural gas, you know, you can convert your furnace over to natural gas uh, if you need to. So that's an option. Uh, we removed all the doors. I think I went through that one already. Um, it pays to be innovative. Now, listen to this. I was a paramedic. In these conditions, my knowledge was my wealth. Be curious and skilled. In these conditions, the ability to fix things is more valuable than gold. Listen to that. The ability to fix things is more valuable than gold. Items and supplies will inevitably run out, but your skills will keep you fed. I wish to say this. Learn to fix things, shoes, or even people. 
uh, like I said, psychologically, it's going to be a tremendous hey, Chris, amount of stress. We're about yes, at the end yes, of the sir. hour. Let me quickly summarize what we've learned from this account in Bosnia. Understand, yes. folks, that their strength in numbers being alone, you'll eventually get killed or robbed. You can't deal with it alone, even if you're armed. Strength is in numbers. The most protected houses were looted first. So you know what? you got to avoid the appearance of protection, of protection or strength and wealth or you'll get attacked first. You need guns and ammo first and second, everything else. Because if you get something, you can always trade for guns and ammo. But if you don't have guns and ammo, your trading days are, for the most part, over. Hygiene is very important, ladies and gentlemen. Hygiene is vital as well as getting as much medicine as possible. Hygiene and medicines are critical. So when times get tough, what you think is important becomes not important at all. And what you didn't have any understanding of importance becomes of vital importance, literally to the death. Because people turn into animals. Even the best people, shockingly, go astray unless they're very, very grounded. Uh, and it becomes a dog-eat-dog world out there, ladies and gentlemen. And our goal is not to focus on the negative side of this or the scary side or to put you into a panic. Our goal is to help you understand what it takes to survive, what it takes to thrive, what it takes to truly have protection and stability. Uh, should we go through something like this in society? We want to put you in the best position possible. We're flat out of time, Chris. Thank you so much. Wrap it up for us, buddy. Yes, sir. Without God, we cannot win, Sam. With God, we cannot lose. The battle for freedom is the Lord's, but we need to be engaged in that fight. Lieutenant Carlson and liberty-loving patriots everywhere, continuing our duty, sir. And Sam Bushman broadcasting live from the redpillexpo.com. Get your tickets to attend in person if you can today and tomorrow in Salt Lake City. If you can't virtually do so as well, the redpillexpo.com. I am live and I'm Sam Bushman. We the people, along with the grace of the Almighty, can and will restore our grand old republic. But you got to get involved, make it a great day, and choose the right, will you? God save the Republic of the United States of America because we declare this nation shall endure. <laughs>